Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book, which is a cancer guide and journal for patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes where we've talked integrative nutrition, mental wellness, and a whole slew of strategies to be healthier. Now, if you've liked these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe or follow. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. And now for this episode, I am so excited to introduce you to Sarah Porritt, the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Omnicom Media Group, yoga instructor and host of the podcast, Hear Us Roar. She's also an R&B singer known professionally as Bayou. On today's episode, Sarah shares her story about being one of the first and only Asian R&B singers in the early 2000s. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am thrilled to introduce you to Sarah Porritt, the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Omnicom Media Group. Outside of her nine to five, she teaches and loves yoga hosts her own podcast called Hear Us Roar, and is an R&B singer known professionally as Bayou. Being one of the first and only Asian R&B singers in the early 2000s was a struggle. Despite that, Sarah made a name for herself within the music industry and has some truly impressive accolades to back her up. She has released two full-length albums as well as a few EPs, was featured on the hit CW network show The Next as a part of the top four talents who are, on the, who are on the verge of stardom. She was also named by Yahoo, Vibe, and many other sources as a musician to watch. In addition, she has got a huge heart. Giving back and pursuing nonprofit work has always been a part of her professional life as well. In 2011, she released a five-song EP called Fanfare and donated all profits towards Japanese earthquake and tsunami relief. Not only is she kind, beautiful, and talented, she's also incredibly smart. A high-powered job, a college degree from Princeton are just a few to name. Her resilience and passion is incredibly inspiring, and I cannot wait for you to hear Sarah's story about being one of the first and only Asian R&B singers in the early 2000s. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I am so excited. The other funny thing is when you research guests, and in fact, for those out there, I actually met Sarah a few years ago at a wellness conference. And so it's really fun when you reconnect with people. And when I saw you were a VJ for MTVU, weren't you? Yes. And I bet you half your listeners probably don't even remember what a BJ is. Oh my gosh. Well, as somebody who grew up in the 1990s and the 2000s, a VJ was amazing. It was like, I guess it was probably like today 
how kids want to be a YouTube star. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, absolutely. It's just like that. Back in the day, we all wanted to be an MTV VJ. An MTV VJ. <laughs> so, and, and I, and I want to specify it was for MTVU. So it was for their, for their channel that was meant for college students. But I mean, that's the key demographic. I, I felt, I felt pretty cool having, having that unpaid gig, actually. So, well, and again, as a college student, that was that was it. I remember in some of the shows, Road Rules, and like that was when you were in college. Like, man, I want to be on that, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, MTV back in the day, like, still an amazing network, but it's evolved, just like everything else out there, and MTVU as well. So, I just want to jump in because there's so much I know that you can share about your story, and we don't have years to tell it. So, I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about how your music career began and some of the struggles that you went through along the way. Yeah. I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> I'll, boil it, I'll boil it down as best as I can. So my parents are actually both musicians. Um, they actually met in college because of their love of music. <sighs> and so it's always been a part of my, my flesh and blood and my history. And honestly, my mom is actually a much better singer than I am. She puts me to shame. Um, but that's kind of where my love of music really, really stemmed from. And so, you know, moving to the U.S. at the age of eight, coming as an immigrant from China, not understanding a single word of English, um, it was really, really challenging for me to fit in. And honestly, you know, I, I never really found my footing or... Um, understood sort of like my place in U.S. society within my community until much later in life and was very shy, um, got bullied quite a lot in school, um, didn't feel pretty, you know, all those things <laughs> that come along with low self-esteem when you don't quite understand yeah. your place. Um, and But music was one of those those safe spaces that I escaped to. I remember discovering, you know, Lauren Hill, Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, um, through a good friend of mine who was actually my maid of honor <laughs> at my <sighs> wedding. Um, and just falling in love with R&B music. I think that, you know, R&B and Chinese music are very different in the sense of there's just a rawness to it. There's like, there's some real deep storylines and emotions that are poured into it that I didn't find in Chinese music. And so I just recall coming home from school and pouring myself into CDs. <laughs> and so, you know, I had always wanted to be a singer. I never really aspired to be a singer until um, I would say probably high school. Um and, and and actually started a little group with a couple of my gal pals. Um, and ultimately, and this is going to sound really, really sketchy. <laughs> I, I saw a Craigslist ad for um, one more female Asian singer to complete an Asian R&B girl group. Wow. And I was like, this is right up my alley. At that point in time, they were looking for someone who was slightly older, 21 and over. I was 16, perhaps. It, it would have meant that I would have to move from Maryland, uproot myself, leave high school, go to Brooklyn (laughs) with my, with my very sort of traditional Chinese background and parents. It, it, 
it was it was definitely an experience. Um, but but I think you know my parents allowed me to do it because I was so shy. I I didn't really have that much life experience outside of my bubble, and so they saw this as an opportunity for learn. I was a very good student, so they knew I could always catch up if I needed to. So the journey really started there. Um, and I think let's be real. Hardship is very subjective. Yes. My hardships are first world hardships, <laughs> you know, and I, I see them as absolute blessings and opportunities as well. But from, from the very, very beginning, it was, it was challenging. You know, there were four of us crammed in a tiny little loft. Um, we were getting ready to, to get signed to FUBU records before FUBU folded, but the whole experience, remember making the band back in the day, since, you know, you're familiar <laughs> with their shows. It, it was like making the band. It was that stringent in terms of the training, the diet, you know, the regimen, um, but with no cameras there. Um, and, you know, we, we did face a lot of racism even back in the day. I won't name any names, but there was a major record label that wanted us to do the vocals for a all-female Black R&B group. Imagine that, right? Yes. And it, Four Asian young ladies <laughs> singing R&B and, you know, um, but not being the face. Okay. So can so, I just ask a question on technicality here? So if that were to have happened, you four would go in studio and you would record, but then every single event or the be the face of the music, they would go out and lip sync? Is that how it works? Right. It would have been like ghostwriting. Um, I don't know if they would completely lip sync. And, you know, I, I, I don't I don't actually even know the name of the girl group, to be honest with you. Um, but we would essentially Milli Vanilli. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, and they, they, they may still sing it, but it, it, it wouldn't be the same group that actually vocalized wow. the album. Wow. Okay. I mean, again, I'm learning so much here. Well, so, the 2000s was was like the wild, wild west. I mean, it was still in the heyday of record labels where they could really, they had a lot of power. They can do right. anything. Wow. So what did you say then? Um, it wasn't up to me, honestly, because we were in a group. We had a producer. We had a manager. And so we did refuse that opportunity even though it would have been pretty lucrative. And ultimately, you know, like I mentioned, we did end up um, starting the process of inking a deal with Boo Records. But, you know, some of the hardships that came along with that, that whole experience was, you know, the producer wasn't the kindest. I would say that um, I maybe felt some a little less in the heat than the other women. But, um, you know, one one girl was teased quite a lot about her weight. She was five five and one hundred and ten pounds, <laughs> and ultimately became bulimic. Um, you know, taught the other girls, including myself, how to be bulimic. Even though I, I was ninety five pounds, I mean, I was tiny, so I didn't need I didn't need that information. But it definitely sort of warped my perception of body image, and it it did funnel me into um, eating disorders later on. But it was it was very it was it was kind of scary. Like the sound of the voice of the manager would startle us. Like we were abused women in some ways, you know, um, whether it's sit up straight, you know, look tough. Um, 
eat this, don't eat that. You have to work out three hours a day. I better see you doing it. Uh, I mean, there. I mean, it, it doesn't sound that harsh now, but it, it was. It was that. It's almost like I don't know if you've seen some of the documentaries on the K-pop bands. Uh-huh. It was kind of like that. But I think we were a little wilder than those ladies, you know, <laughs> we were used to that American cultural freedom. And so to us, it was very jarring. Wow. I, I mean, this is, I want to say this is new to me because I haven't followed so closely yet. I, I understand from some of the documentaries, mm-hmm. right, there's harsh treatment. So coming in as this, um, like, as you said, you were one of, if not the first Asian R&B group, were there prejudices that were that were held against you and that made the struggle even more intense? Yeah, so, so within the context of that group, I didn't see a lot of it because our manager handled a lot of the conversations with labels. Although, you know, with that one example of the, the yeah. vocalizing albums. Um, but I, I really started to see it a lot more when... Um, so, so FUBU folded... One one woman left. Of course, one of them was dating the manager. I mean, how stereotypical oh, is that? Yeah. The other one who um, her her father got really ill. And so she had to actually go home to, to Asia. Um, so it was me and one other young lady. And the manager basically said to the other young lady, get out of my house. I don't need you anymore at this point. But Sarah, I want to work with you one on one. I want to develop your career. And at that point, I was like, no, you're not a nice man. (laughs) I don't want to work with you. And so I ended up taking a little bit more time off, applied for college, got into college and ended up taking some additional time off before going to school to pursue a solo career. Um, And it was actually, you know, one of the young ladies in the band with me who introduced me to a gentleman that she met, um, who she met at a karaoke bar, Sing Sing, in New York City. Uh And so I ended up linking up with him um, and started a four started on a four year journey where we um, where we explored pursuing a solo career for me. And that's, I think, when I really got to see face to face because I had to go into those negotiation conversations. Some of the racism um, that's that still exists, I'm sure, to this day, even though I haven't had those conversations in a long time, just because there aren't faces like mine, right? So, you know, investing in an artist is an investment. It's a risk assessment. Um, It was easy for me to get in the door because I was different. You know, it was definitely an asset to be different, to be one of the first, Um, but there's no roadmap for it. And that's literally what I was told. There is no marketing plan for someone like you. and I think people try to pull me in all different directions, go very hardcore R&B, switch it up, maybe do album covers where they don't even show my face ah. <laughs> or, you know, um, go, go completely Kelly Clarkson. No, you're not believable as an R&B artist. We, we have to totally pop, make, make you into a pop singer or, a, a, you know, more of a techno singer back in the day. And so it, it was interesting just having those conversations and seeing where people's heads are at. And now that, you know, I work in marketing and advertising and within that space, I, I, I understand. And I, I always have, 
you know, it's it's all about at the end of the day, can I generate revenue? I mean, they don't care about the artists, right. let's be real. <laughs> right. But is this person going to make me money? How am I going to do that? And so that's the mindset. Um, and, and, you know, maybe people were just a little more frank about what was on their mind back in the day. I think diversity and inclusion, which is the space that I'm in now, is, is a lot more sort of um, prevalent and there's more sensitivities around it. It's, we, we live in a much more PC culture. But back in the day, people just kept it real when it came to like what was on their mind. And in a way, I got jaded to it, and I, I almost, um, you know, accepted it as my as, as my existence, as my journey. Um, but looking back on it, it absolutely was, um, you know, very, very discriminatory. So how did you move forward then? Because I was listening in your music this morning. I mean, and as I said at the top, when I introduced you, you've done a lot in this space. You know, what's interesting is that when you're a pioneer, um, I almost think of it as like, you know, a a person's character is judged based on what happens when you fail, when you fall down. Um, You can either come out and step up and be stronger, or you can say, you know, I'm just going to wallow in this sorrow. And for me, um, it was interesting because all those years being a nerd, (laughs) I didn't feel empowered. But in this space, I felt incredibly empowered because I knew that every step that I took was a step that wasn't taken before me. And so even if I'm a stepping stone for someone else, even if I'm the first time that an executive or someone who is in a position of power is considering someone like me for a record deal, a marketing plan to take on as an artist, to me, in my mind, that was progress. Um, And so I think that there is a, you know, every artist, every person who wants to be a star has a level, level of ego to them. But I think I lost my ego in some of that, which is also why, you know, in my podcast, as you mentioned here, as Roar, I'm more focused on featuring stories of women who are not like me in a lot of ways, who who, who have gone down their own path and are fearless in their own ways. Because I think that all of us collectively add to the narrative and create and expand the spectrum of possibilities for each other. Because, you know, um, music especially is still something, is a spot where you don't see a lot of Asian faces outside of K-pop, which is literally Korean pop, yeah. you know, <laughs> which makes sense. But if you're looking at, let's, you know, let's talk about straight up R&B or even pop, there's very, very few Asian artists in mainstream perception, um, you know, that that is a household name. I, I mean, that that is so true. You follow close closer than I do. But so what are you saying to whether it's kids or young adults today that want to break into whether it is this industry or, hey, probably from your corporate perspective, being a minority, being a pioneer, do you have advice to people to inspire them to do what you did or to follow their heart? Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because there's so many sort of like Buddhists and 
yogic ideology uh-huh. that yeah. I started adopting over the years if I as I've studied, you know, um, yoga, but I would say non attachment. Um, I think that non attachment used to feel very unemotional to me, I think that, you know, having passion for something, feeling an attachment to something felt like it was much more meaty, like it had purpose. But what I realized was that I can still be passionate about something, acknowledge my gifts and my worth and what I can bring to this space and just go for it, but not be attached to the result, the end result, so much so that I lose steam or you know I lose myself in it. So that's my advice is whatever you're passionate about, go for it, but just acknowledge that there are forces beyond you. (laughs) The universe is here to support you. I truly believe that. And that's, you know, some of the sort of like naive fearlessness I've, I've been able to um, funnel my energy from. Um, But, you know, doing the things that you're passionate about, make that enough, make yourself acknowledge that you are enough, that if you're doing the things that you're passionate about, and that makes you happy, that is enough. Don't be attached to whatever is the outcome that you're seeking, because the outcome truly is, in my opinion, um, feeling, feeling good on the inside and being able to truly cherish those gifts that you have. Well, I I mean, my jaws drop because that to me is such great advice for anything you're trying to do in life. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of, um, yogi, probably the the yoga teacher in you about being present, right? If you have a passion, enjoying it, feeling it, being there, as opposed to solely focusing on the end result, because the end result often might change where you're going even along the way. Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly it. And it's just like, again, this naive fearlessness that's propelled me forward. Like you mentioned, I I mean, I I did the music thing for 15 years. (laughs) It took a lot of money, a lot of energy. I didn't study abroad. I didn't buy fancy purses. I didn't go out to eat. You know, there are a lot of sacrifices that I've had to make. I didn't I didn't hang out with my friends as much, you know, I didn't really have free time. (laughs) Every ounce of energy was focused on staying alive by, you know, doing a good job in my nine to five, which I I held a full, I've always, you know, after, after the time that I spent truly dedicating to music, um, 24 hours a day, I did go to college. I did start a full-time job literally immediately, like the week after I graduated. And so, you know, within the majority of that 15 years, I basically did double, triple duty and had other passion projects going on as well. So um, (laughs) it's all these things that kind of sustained me and kept the momentum going. So in terms of your music or Bayou now, do you still connect with it? Do you still not that necessarily promote it, but it is still a part of your life or is it a part of your past that you keep in your heart? Oh, I sing all the time when I'm by myself. <laughs> um, no one needs to know, but, uh, you know, I, I still love music. Am I pursuing it professionally? Not right now. I will say I did come very close to an opportunity right before COVID. COVID is just uh, an interesting beast, right? But that's yeah. life. Um, I was, I, I performed at um, Advertising Week with Wyclef. 
Uh, <gasps> this was about two wait, wait, years wait, wait. Ago. What you did? What you performed advertising <laughs> week with Wyclef? Yeah. Um. It and you know we were in the process of starting a, a group. Um. It was called Oceans. Uh, Oceans Five, and we, you know, had our band members together. They're all people in the media and advertising industry. Um, and then COVID, yeah, <laughs> COVID right. happened, and that changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And again, you know, first world problems, right? Oh, I couldn't be in a band with Wyclef. Other people are, you know, suffering, right? Some real life traumas. Um, and tragedies. And so, you know, no gripes there. But if I had the opportunity, if that's what you're asking me, I would absolutely yeah. go for it. But am I actively pursuing it? I'm a realist, you know, at the end of the day, again, I think I've stripped a lot of the ego from the from the journey. And so my hope is really to inspire other people to believe that they can they can break through any sort of cultural constraints. Um, and that even if, you know, they're, they're potentially the first, one of the first few to, to do something in a certain sector, um, then go for it, you know, to, to truly believe in the impossible and be able to kind of reach uh, in the direction where they're most passionate, even if it's not very conventional. Well, you said something at the beginning that really um, fills my heart. You're saying a lot of things in this conversation that are, that are filling my heart, but how you felt, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you felt alone, insecure um, as a child. And music is what really connected to you and brought you, you know, a positive light. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, and sure, absolutely. <laughs> that to me, in this society now, in this world right now, where there's so much going on, there's so many different expectations, and I think being a kid, especially this past year, had to be hard in some direction, and to have something that you love, no matter what that is, you know, and whether you, you know, listen, my kid is loves baseball, loves, loves, loves baseball. And yeah, he wants to be an MLB player. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Uh, but I um, I hear you when you say that because this just is another reminder that I want to try and find things that he loves. Mm -hmm. um, but again, make sure it comes from him because yes, you're, you're, uh, you were surrounded by parents who are musicians, but it came from you going and getting the CDs and listening to them. Yeah. And you're, I mean, Karen, you're such a great mom for, for, <laughs> for doing that. Um, I, I think that, you know, that's another one of the cultural challenges of growing up as a Asian Chinese American immigrant, you know, because um, our, most of our parents who came here with zero dollars in their pocket, you know, 25 cents in their pocket, they, they struggled and, you know, um, they did everything. My parents did everything so that I, I can have a shot at a good life. And so there's a lot of burden that comes with that, you know, as well, because, uh, there's a lot of expectations around what are, you know, yeah. give and take, you know, I expect you to, go to a great college. I expect you to get straight A's. I expect you to go into uh, a corporate job and within an industry that, you know, is going to be lucrative. And so I think that some of the tragedy in that, in that storyline is, is sometimes children aren't um, given permission to pursue the things that are passionate to them. If it's outside of the, um, the realm of expectations from their parents, 
Um, and, you know, Chinese culture can be very sort of um, comparative as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's still the same, but you know, there's an, a running joke, uh, you know, with people at, from my generation who grew up in the States as first, you know, first generation immigrants that, you know, our parents would compare compare us to each other. So there's this, there's almost this rivalry in certain cases, and maybe rivalry is too strong a word across parental parties. Uh, and the kids aren't involved in that. But you know, it's like one parent's like, my my daughter's going to Cornell, or, <laughs> you know, my son is a violinist. <laughs> and so there, there, there is that sort of like, desire to live up to the expectations of our parents, knowing how hard they've struggled to give us the opportunities that we have. So, you know, I very much appreciate kind of your openness to see allowing your um, your son to share with you his vision of what makes him happy as opposed to placing expectations on that. Well, I, thank you. I mean, as any parent knows, it's like, listen, I heard for years that parenting is the hardest job. Parenting is the hardest job. And trust me, I had some hard jobs myself, you know, working in the career I had um, before being an entrepreneur was in the sports and entertainment industry and media. So 24 seven traveling, um, mm-hmm. deadlines like mm-hmm. that were intense. I think many of us can, can appreciate that. And I thought that was hard. I loved it in a lot of ways, but I thought that was hard. But you know, they, I remember someone saying to me, Barb Waters, it's like little people, little problems, they get older and, um, you know, it becomes beautiful. They become their own, their own people, which is, is neat to see him do that. But I, um, I really have been, he's my only child. He's my, he's my focus. And and so I'm, listen, I'm trying to do the best that I can, but I thank you for the kind words because he is my little miracle baby. Uh, So (laughs) tell us something before we jump into my favorite ending, tell us something that makes you happy right now, or what are you working on that, that feeds your passions? Oh, those, I feel like those are potentially two separate questions. <laughs> so you can pick um, I one. Think, I think what makes me really happy right now, now that I'm kind of working from home and I'm, you know, there's yeah. always something to be done, whether it's, you know, from my nine to five, which is actually way extended than that, um, or, you know, podcasting or, you know, yoga. Um, I think it's having some moments to myself. Um, because work and life are blending together, you know, sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a, I'm, I'm on 42nd and 9th. Oops. I just gave away my location, but you don't know exactly where, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in a building where there's a sun deck, you know? And so it's nice to just like, if I have an hour where I don't have to be staring at a screen going up there and taking a call just to like feel a little bit of normalcy and like be able to walk outside and get some sun and, and moments where I can just take five minutes to breathe. Um, those are the things that really, really make me happy and, and bring me back into balance. Uh, that's, I, I will say I have a love for nature and so many people on this podcast when talking about healthy habits or practices, they'll talk about going outside yeah, how, especially now. <laughs> yes, especially now. And it almost doesn't even matter what time of day, if it's at the, if it's at night, walk outside and look at the sky. Do you, I don't know if you would have ever seen, as I say that I'm thinking of an American tale, that little cartoon with Fievel Mouskowitz, oh. <laughs> where he sang that song somewhere out there. And he was looking up at the sky with 
all the stars in it. And he's like, you know, looking for his family. And I think that sometimes I look up to the, I have a lot of friends that live in different locations Mm -hmm. and how, you know, we're all looking at the same world together, even if we're so far apart. I'm going to tear up on silly five old mouse but it's really a beautiful thing. And when I was a kid, I didn't realize how healing it could be whenever you're going through a hard time. It it really does. Getting outside the fresh air, yeah. even if it's a little muggy, that air can really bring a little bit of peace, especially when you're by yourself to take in the birds, to take in the sights, to take in the smells. So I I hear you on that. Well, I am hoping, I am so grateful that you and I reconnected and we had an opportunity um, to have you on this podcast and to chat again. And I am hoping you will play with me what's called the Grateful Game. I play this with my son at night before we go to bed. It's become really our mindful practice and a way to tap into a little bit of positivity, thinking about what we did that day, why we're grateful for it. So uh, would you be willing to play? Let's do it. I love it. So, all right, I will kick it off and I will start. I will give us um, about a minute each. And so for all the listeners out there, I would love for you to play along Take a moment and think about what you're grateful for and why today, whether it's something you're going to do later today or something you did in the last 24 hours. Because listen, let me tell you, as a stage four cancer thriver, um, not every day is easy. I get that. And yes, of course, I'm grateful for the big things in life, but sometimes it's the little things that get us through and give us a big smile. So today I'm going to tell you something I'm going to do later today. In this conversation, Sarah, you made me think when we're talking about parenting, some of the advice that I received from other parents that I'm totally going to tear up. Um, There was a former colleague of mine named um, Scott and Scott Dalkey gave the greatest parenting advice. He was a few years older than me, although didn't seem that he seemed like a big brother. And I remember when I had the baby and remember my baby's 12 now. He would share. He said, listen, you're going to go through a lot of things through parenting, but what I found to be really helpful with my relationship with my child was getting involved with what they loved. And Mm. so when you talk about, when we talk about the baseball, I've had that in the back of my mind. During COVID, all my son wanted to do, he was by himself. He's an only child, was Mm -hmm. go to the backyard Mm -hmm. and play baseball. And he'd want someone, but he couldn't. And so I would go back. And mind you, I'm not an athlete. And I'm sorry (laughs) to all my neighbors where I'd try and throw a baseball to him and it would go in their backyard. But Scott, I would think about Scott's words. And sometimes... All those years of him, my son loving Thomas the Train, and I'd have to sit and play trains. I really didn't love that. I tried. Sometimes it was, some days were better than others. But I've really tried to get involved with his baseball love because I, I can connect more with that. Not that I knew baseball, but and I, I am so grateful. I'm going to reach out to Scott today, and I know that that's going to fill my heart. And so I can't wait tonight when I play the grateful game with my son, Kyle, I know um, that that will be on it. So um, thank you. Thank you, Scott, for all those years of great, great parental advice. There's takes a village. You hear that all the time. And there's so many people in my village and he's one of them. So anyway, that's my minute. I've got one. I'm going to toss it to you. Well, first of all, shout out to Scott. And <laughs> I'm a very emotional person as well, Karen. So you've got me teared up. So hopefully I won't, you know, go into my um <laughs> and I'm okay my, with my it. Tearful conversation. Um, but 
I, I'm, you know, you reminded me earlier on in our conversation before we even jumped on that sometimes it's the little things, you know, and I, I was really trying to think of something little that is really meaningful to me. So I, um, I grew up playing Chinese checkers with my parents. I remember the little Chinese checkers set. I, I had, had one too. <laughs> um, and recently was like, oh, you know, um, especially due to COVID, um, it would be fun to like pick that up again. Uh, so I ended up buying a, a set on, <gasps> on Amazon and literally it became my husband and I's favorite little activity. We, you know, there's, there's only so many ways for us to kind of escape in a way and yeah. connect um, in, in our home or like, you know, sitting in a park without other people. So we'd always bring our little Chinese checkers chess set um, or Chinese checker set. Yep. And, you know, it, it, it became this like little activity and this little rivalry um, <laughs> in a very fun and lighthearted way. And so this morning, you know, I'm actually going to be away for a week to see my parents. First time in two years, by the way. Oh um, my gosh, so that's amazing. Firstly, grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but you know, because I, I'm gonna be away for a week, he was like, Well, you know, let's let's um you know, just have some coffee this morning and play Chinese checkers and you not have the news on. So we ended up playing a game. I beat him. Don't tell him that. <laughs> 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 or or don't let him know I, I told I you. I won't, that. I won't. But you know, it's it's one of those like fun little things that we'll now have forever and hopefully, you know, one day if I'm as lucky as you Karen, to have children hopefully it's something that I can introduce to them as well but it was just a nice moment um, that we were able to share this morning over coffee now you have me emotional and that was really nice it's funny so now I'm gonna cry again I, I totally do this all the listeners know that I'm a total empath and and I, I'm okay with it it's all right to cry uh and usually it's for happy things like in this but I there's so much you know crazy intense stressful in this world, wherever you're coming from, not just you, me, like the world. And I have found that the little things really bring me joy. I will say, you know, I'm human and I've always wanted, you know, big toys too. But sometimes it's that, like we got a new carpet on the deck and as you're sitting here talking about Chinese checkers, I'm thinking about, we played dominoes. We It wasn't something oh. that came as a family. I do think my parents did give it to us, but I, like, during COVID, it was really fun to get competitive with my son and my husband about it. And it's those little things that you're talking about. It may have been a half an hour, an hour, but it brought you such like that warm, fuzzy, loving feeling before you start your day. And I really believe for all the listeners out there, think about what are those little things that bring you joy in your life? Because listen, I know that my game of dominoes or your game of Chinese checkers is not necessarily going to change a huge diagnosis or um, other huge hardship going on in life, but it definitely can put a smile to our faces, which can help with healing or if nothing else can put us in a better mood and change, change our energy. And so I love to hear it. It's like a, a helpful tool in the day. I'm so glad that we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> I know. You're, you're totally right. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us here today. Will you tell us, like, for the, the podcast, where, uh, where can people find you whether it's social media, whether we want people to download, like rate, review, subscribe, or follow, whatever it might be on, on various pod, 
podcast platforms? Yeah, so it's called Hear Us Roar, and it's on every major podcasting platform. So whether you listen to Stitcher, Spotify, um, you know, wh- Apple wherever, podcast. Uh, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> it, it, it's anywhere that, that you would typically stream. And, um, you know, I am on social. Uh, I'm at, at Sarah Porritt, S-A-R-A-P-O-R-I-T-T, double R, double T. Um, on Instagram and then the podcast has an Instagram as well. And it's H U R podcast. So, you know, um, find me wherever, find me on LinkedIn. Um, hit me up like Karen did after a couple of years, meet me at a conference. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just really, really, really grateful, Karen, that you're providing this platform for conversations like this. And you have such an incredible survivor story. So I'm just honored to be, you know, in your presence and, and being, being privileged enough to have this conversation with you. So I appreciate that so much. Well, thank you so much. I'm giving you a big hug through this microphone. (laughs) I can't wait till the day that we can meet up again. Maybe it's in a park in New York City. You know, maybe it's here at the beach in Mm -hmm. Connecticut. But we're we're so close. In some ways, it feels far away right now. but soon, you know, soon I do. Um, I would, I would love to reconnect. And to all, the I would list- love that. All the listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. I, I hope that this has provided some inspiration. That is what we're here for. Both Sarah and I really, really want people to have hope and to believe in themselves and know, you know, in this case, with happiness through hardship, I really know life can be tough, but. Hopefully, we can help you put one foot in front of the other and find a little joy during whatever journey you're going on in life. So thanks again for being here today, and bye for now, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe or follow. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us. If you love us, they might too. And now, my parting words. As a pioneer in the R&B space for Asian women, Sarah inspires us all to be an advocate for yourself. Whether it's personally or professionally, we all can find a way to not only believe in ourselves, but to stick up for ourselves. Now, I have found this incredibly true in my health life, which is why it was important for me to share what I knew about being a cancer patient with others. Now, if you know someone touched with cancer, please send them my book, Happiness Through Hardship, a cancer guide and journal for patients and caregivers. It's for sale online at Target, Barnes & Noble, as well as Amazon. It will put a smile on their face, even though they're likely going through a very hard time in their life. Now, thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.